Amen. Lord, we do look forward to that day. We will be around your throne forevermore, and we will know as we are known. Heaven's going to be so much greater than we can even imagine. And Lord, I just we look forward to that. And until that day, Lord, may we be found faithful. May we seek you with our whole heart. May we have heaven and eternity painted on our eyes as we're living down here in the temporal. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We pray as we go to your word, you administer to every heart. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. You're going to need one. We do have Bible study here. Amen. All right. And like we say every week, if, if you don't have a Bible at home and you need that Bible, feel free to take it. Take it as a gift from us, or if, you, if that's better than the Bible you've got and you just want it, feel free. We'll order more. We can always do that. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. And I'll tell you, I love the Old Testament more and more the more I spend in it. Amen? Because you just see Jesus on every single page. And tonight we're going to continue with Moses' giving of the second giving of the law. That's what Deuteronomy means. It means the second giving or the second law. And he's giving the law yet again to the next generation as they're about to enter into the land of promise. He's preparing them that they might experience all that God has for them. Now in the first ten chapters, he reminded them all that God had done for them. He reminded them how God had delivered them. And how God had taken them out of bondage, how He delivered them from their enemies, how He had led them through the wilderness, how He provided for them from the, with manna from the sky and water from the rock, and how God had delivered His Word to them audibly. He reminded them about, you know, when you guys remember when we were around that mountain. Now, you've got to remember something very significant. This letter is being spoken to about half the people, potentially, were not even born when a lot of these events took place. And so they're hearing this for the first time from Moses. They no doubt have heard it from their own parents. But then there were others that did see and witness them. They were their teenagers because everybody 20 years of age and above, every male 20 years of age and above died in the wilderness. Now this is that generation, that, that next generation that was about to enter in. And he's reminding them of what God had done for them. And how God had literally come down on the mountain and spoken audibly to them and the fear that came into them. But he also reminded them not only the great things God had done for them, but also how faithlessly they had rebelled against God. You know, I think it's so important that you and I remember what God has done for us. Amen? We need to remember every single day. We need to spend time in the Word every day. Spend time in prayer every day. Start our day in the presence of God. Having an eternal perspective, because it's so easy to get caught up in the stuff that just doesn't matter anyway. Amen? And so it's so important that we have an eternal focus when we begin our day with the Lord. And he reminded them, this is all God has done for you, and this is how great God is. But then he reminded them of the rebellion. Because not right after they heard the voice of God, and they saw literally the presence of God came down on Sinai, they could not see him, but they saw his presence, and he was there, and as he spoke to them, they were so afraid, they said, you know, don't talk to us anymore or we're going to die. You know, just Moses, you go talk to, to God, because we just can't take it. And while Moses was up on Sinai for a short 40 days, we know that right after hearing God's voice, right after the Red Sea parting, right after the plagues in Egypt and being delivered out of bondage, what did they do? They made a what? A golden calf, and they began to worship one of the very idols that they had seen in Egypt, right after God had audibly spoke to them the Ten Commandments, the first two of which are, Thou shalt have no other God before me, and thou shalt serve no graven image. 
So they break commandment one and commandment two in less than 40 days after hearing God speak audibly, after seeing the Red Sea part, and after seeing all the plagues in Egypt, after seeing God's great provision, the pillar that led them along the way. And that's why he says repeatedly in Deuteronomy, I remind you. And he says, remember the Lord your God. Remember the Lord your God. And the same thing happens to us. We get so caught up in the world, so caught up in doing the things with those people who are around us who don't know God, and before we know it, we've forgotten what the Lord has said, or we choose just not to make it the priority in our life. And so this is Moses wholehearted writing this book, Deuteronomy, this letter. He's writing to them saying, guys, you're getting ready to go in, and you need to remember what God has done for you, and you need to remember the consequences, how heavy they are when you walk outside of God's will. You know, it's interesting because there's nothing new under the sun. This next generation, just like every generation that comes along, they think they know better than the one that came before them. And so often we want to go to the generation behind us and say, guys, you don't understand. And they always give you that, no, I'm not like you. You know, yeah, you may have tripped up, but that won't happen to me. You ever heard that before? And you just want to shake them. No, let me tell you. You know what? Yeah, I can date an unbeliever. Nothing bad is going to happen. It's okay. The Bible said, well, yeah, but you know, we had a unique situation. And it's amazing how people think that they know more than the previous generation. Somehow, you know, they've got it all figured out. And it is true that experience is the greatest teacher, but it doesn't have to be your experience. We can learn so much by heeding godly counsel from those who have gone before us that we won't have to suffer and miss out on God's highest the way that they have. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, look, they missed out. They rebelled. They're not entering into the land of promise. Learn from their mistakes so you don't repeat it. And it's so important for us today that we make God's word the authority in our lives. That it not be placed in a, in a place in our... And again, remember, God's word was given not to keep you from having fun. The Bible is not a no fun bummer guide, right? All right, no fun for you. Oh, you're a Christian now. Okay, that's it. No more fun. Right? And we're going to take away everything that you love and everything that's good and just make you suffer and then we'll give you heaven at the end. You know, and sadly, there's a lot of you know, Christians that think that way. That's not Christianity and that's not what our God desires for us. He wants us to have life and life more abundantly. Sin temporary as pleases our flesh, but it leads to heartache and pain, broken fellowship with God, and missing out on God's highest. And Moses is pleading openly with them and exhorting the next generation with the powerful truth of God's word, saying, don't miss out on God's highest. Can I say something to you here tonight? Don't miss out on God's highest. Don't be satisfied with being on the cruise ship to heaven and just, you know, got the get out of hell free card and just, you know, hey, I know about God. I know God a little bit. That's good enough for me. And I just want to live my life. Can I tell you that there's, there's nothing more empty than not doing what God's created you to do? God created you with a purpose in mind. He loves you. He has a plan for you. And he wants us to be sold out for him because he sold out for us. Amen? And there's enough Christians walking around satisfied with the get out of hell free card. God wants more from us. God desires that we give our entire life to him. So God is calling us today like he called the children of Israel to heed the word of God being delivered to us, to learn from the experiences and failures of others, and also to be like Moses, not only those who heard the word, but to be like Moses, to boldly claim, proclaim without compromise and exhort the next generation with the word of God and to educate them from what we have learned. So let's begin. I've titled the message tonight, Blessings of Obedience. 
And the first thing we're going to see is he's going to remind them yet again of what God had already done, the power of God. And then after he reminds them of the power of God, he's going to share with them the promises of God. If we walk in obedience to the Lord, there are great and awesome promises and things God wants to do in and with us. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of. God's looking for someone who will say, Lord, my life is yours. I serve you completely. I surrender all and I mean it, not just some. Not just an hour on Sunday and an hour and a half on Wednesday, but Lord, I give you my entire life and I want to serve you completely because you know what? Where else am I going to go? Where else is there peace? Where else am I going to find joy? So let's begin. We're going to look again at him reminding them of what he'd already done and then he's going to share with them the promises of what he will do if they will simply walk in obedience to him. So let's begin in verse 1, reminding them of what God had already done. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, his commandments always. Whenever you see the word therefore, you've heard people say, you say, what's it there for, right? Well, when you see the word therefore, it's always good to go back and read the verses just previous. Because he's saying, in light of what I've just told you, here's how you should respond. The last two verses of chapter 10 say, He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. They had been in rebellion. They had been outside of God's will. God continued to protect them. When they cried out to Him, He delivered them, and now He has blessed them. And He says, in light of the fact that God has multiplied you from 70 people to, three, to over 3 million while in bondage. Now, I love that. They grew while in difficulty. I believe that's a pattern for us today. When we go through difficult times, that's when we grow the most. I absolutely believe that. I believe when we go through the trials and the struggles and the heat gets turned up, that's when we grow the most. And that's what had happened with the children of Israel numerically. They had grown. And he said, because of all that God has done, then how should you respond? He says, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge. Can I make something real clear? We talked about this in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not an emotion as much as it is a choice. Amen? It's a choice. He doesn't say, get the butterflies and hope it works out and maybe have some feelings for God. That's not what he says. He commands them to love and keep his charge because love is a decision. We choose to love God or we choose not to. And every one of us in this room, choose today whom you're going to serve. Do you love God? Is he first in your life? And we see 10 different times in Deuteronomy alone where he links love to obedience. He says, love God and keep his charge. Love God and keep his commandments. Love God and keep his statutes. Again, it's not just a feeling in my heart, but it's something that transforms my life. And this really should remind us, what what does God want from you? You ever thought about that? What does God want from me? He gave me everything. What in the world can I possibly give him? I'm a sinner in desperate need of a savior. What can I give God? What does he want from me? He wants me to love him. There's the answer. Remember when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? You shall what? Love the Lord your God. And he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. But the ultimate commandment is loving God. What does God want from you to love him? Not, not to just fear him and reverence him, as, which we should. 
Not just to be in awe of him as we should be, but to love him. And I'm glad he's not just a God who wants us to be in awe and fear. Aren't you glad this is not your feeling about God? I hope this isn't your feeling about God. We should have fear and awe and reverence for him, but he's Abba Father, amen? He's Daddy. He's somebody we have intimacy with. And if you don't know God that way, then you need to know God better. Because that's the God we serve. He's a loving God. He wants us to love Him. And as we love Him, we will obey Him. You you know, again, when I do counseling all the time, people struggle walking in obedience because they don't truly grasp the grace of God and the character of God. If you understand how great God is and how much He loves you, you won't run from Him in times of difficulty. You'll run to Him. Amen? But too often we don't want to obey because we think it's somehow God cramping my style instead of realizing, man, he loves me so much. He knows what's best for me. I don't fully get it, but I trust God. And you know what? I would much rather let God make the decisions for my life than me. Amen? Does he know better? Of course he does. Let's trust him. And so he says, keep the statutes, his laws, his ceremonial laws, his judicial law, his moral law. And again, they're all wrapped up in one commandment. And we know this carries over to the New Testament again because Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, you will obey me. And some think their so-called love for Jesus allows them to disregard the word of God. Hey, I love Jesus and that's all that matters, so I can just live how I want to. If you love me, you will obey me. The highest form of worship is is obedience. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. God would rather we obey him than we be really religious and we keep a bunch of rituals. He wants us to walk in obedience, not again, out of only out of fear, but out of love for him and saying, Lord, I love you. I trust you. I know that you know what's best for me. Now, often we respond like a rebellious teenager or a rebellious person in their early 20s or whatever who think mom and dad have lost their mind. You know, mom and dad just don't get it. They don't, they, they, you know, they're not, you know, my dad's 50. He's not 16 or 12 or 14 or 19 or 22. He just doesn't grasp what's going on in my generation. And, and instead of saying, you know, my dad loves me. And even though I don't fully grasp it, I trust him. That's how we need to be with God. He's perfect. Amen. And he knows what is best for us. And again, as Christians, it's hard sometimes because we realize that we're under grace and not under the law anymore, which is very true. But at the same time, Romans 6 says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. I want to exhort you this morning to trust and know that obeying God is the right thing to do. Because you know what? It will bring blessings into your life. It'll give you a a deeper fellowship with God himself. And you know what else? It's going to give you an abundant life here and now. A fruitful life here and now. If you'll simply obey the Lord. Verse 2. Know today that I do not speak with your children. So it's very important that Moses is addressing the adults in this generation that had witnessed the works of God among Israel. These are the ones that were kids the first time around. They were the ones that were the children who were sitting at Sinai and saw the presence of God and felt the earth shake and heard his audible voice. They were the ones that were in bondage in Egypt and saw the plagues that came down. They were the ones that walked through the Red Sea with the water parted on both sides and then saw the water come crashing down on the Egyptians. And he says, I'm talking to you because you know what I'm talking about. 
And I want you to understand so that you can pass it on to the next generation. And the same is true for every one of us in this room. God's desire is that we not only hear from Him, but then we speak for Him. That we hear from the Lord, but then we speak to the next generation the truth. He he spoke to the generation who should know and remember. He says, "...who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, His greatness and His mighty hand and His outstretched arm." He says, you know, I'm talk- I don't speak to your children who don't understand. I don't speak to the ones who didn't see it. I'm talking to you because I want you to then pass it on, as we're going to see later on, to your children. Verse 3, his signs and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt, to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all of his land. First of all, he's talking to them about the power of God, the plagues upon Egypt, the deliverance through Passover. Again, don't have a lot of time, but remember... What was the last plague? It was Passover. And remember what happened? The angel of death and those who took the blood of the lamb had to be the blood of of a firstborn spotless lamb. And the blood of the lamb was then with hyssop branch was applied to the doorpost. And it was applied in the shape of a what? A cross. And those who had the blood of the lamb applied to their home, the angel of death passed over and they were delivered out of bondage. And the same is true for us. We can't just believe in Christ. We can't just believe that there is a God. We must know Him and we must apply the blood of the Lamb. We we can't just know that the Lamb's been slain, but the blood must be applied. And He's talking to that generation that witnessed all of it. They saw God's mighty hand in Egypt. They saw how the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh, this guy was the most powerful man on earth. How did he do against God? Not too well. And too often we, we sit and we think, you know, well, I've, you know, I've got all these connections in the world. The people that you know in the world and the stuff that you're connected with in the world is nothing compared to God. Amen? And the trials that you have in the world are nothing compared to God. God is greater. Verse 4, what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses, their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. Not only did he removed them out of the grips of Pharaoh, but then they were, they were in a bad situation. You remember what happened? They got backed up to the Red Sea. They had mountains on both sides. And here comes the Egyptian army, the baddest army in the land, filled with chariots. And what do the Egyptians have? They got sticks and rocks. These guys have chariots and spears. And they're coming. And they're scared to death. And then they turn to Moses. Did you bring us out here to die? And you know what? It's when our back is against the wall that we get to see God move. Amen? And what happened? God opened up the Red Sea, and they walked through, God delivering them, and then He closed down the Red Sea on top of the Egyptian army, and He wiped out the greatest army on the planet without the children of Israel picking up one weapon. Because that's our God. Amen? He's greater than any opposition. He's greater than any foe. And he's reminding them, remember what God has done for you. The same is true for us. Remember what God has done for you. Have an eternal perspective. Keep your eyes on the Lord. The sea parted. It delivered Israel. And at the same time, it destroyed the Egyptian army. As we've talked about many times before, that's exactly what the cross does. The cross is either a place of deliverance or a place of judgment. It all depends on what you've done with Jesus. The Red Sea was a place of deliverance for the children of Israel who were pursuing God, who were the children of God. And it was a place of judgment for the Egyptians who were idol worshippers who rejected God. 
The cross of Christ is either a place of deliverance, as delivered you from your sin, or it is a place of judgment because you rejected what Jesus did for you. And the same is true at the Red Sea. Verse 5. What He did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place. God provided for them in the wilderness, and this was no small task. Three million people. How big does the... How, how much, how much food do you need for three million people? And you're in the wilderness. You think water might be important? I mean, you're out in the desert with three million people. This is not a good plan if you don't have God on your side. Amen? And not only that, three million people, and they're all growing. And it says in our previous text that God made sure their clothes grew with them. That rocks. He brought... You got bread or manna falling out of the sky, and it's complete in nutrition. We need some of that today, right? Manna falling out of the sky, and then water coming from a rock, and people are walking around growing, and they never had to change their clothes once. What a great God, amen? He took care of everything. And again, he was reminding them of God's provision so that they wouldn't remember it when they went into Canaan. Sometimes we struggle because we forget all that God has done for us and we start to panic because we forget how God has delivered us over and over and over again and how great our God is and we panic in the midst of difficulty. Now watch this. He reminds them of the blessings, but he also reminds them of his judgment. Verse 6. And what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. Now, if you guys remember, those of you who were here, we went through Numbers. Dathan and Abiram, and along with Korah, instigated a revolt against Moses and Aaron. And they said, you know, you guys have been in charge long enough. It's our turn. And they got 250 men of renown on their side. And they literally came up against Moses. And they were trying to get the people to come against Moses. And the problem was they didn't realize, they thought it was 250 against two. We got 250 on our side, men of renown, they're behind us, you're in trouble. The problem was God is on Moses' side, amen? And if God is for us, who can be against us? And you plus God is a majority. And so what did God do to Dathan and Abiram? It says in that verse, he literally opened up the ground and swallowed them. Do you think that that sent a message to the rest of the camp? You think anybody else was thinking about coming against Moses anytime soon, right? The Bible tells us not to touch God's anointed. God is the one who put him there. God raises him up. Let God set him down. Trust him. And so he reminds them of God's mighty hand because, again, they're about to enter into a land where their enemies would be all around them, where idol worship would be everywhere. And it would be so easy for them to just fall into to the traps of the enemy, and God's reminding him, let me remind you what God has done, and let me remind you of the judgment that he brought upon those who continued to walk against him. Again, a stiff warning for those who would contemplate coming against God's anointed. But your eyes have seen every act of the Lord which he did. They had seen, clearly revealed God's power. What they had witnessed of God's grace, his power, and his love should have given them greater faith in God going forward. And so too, you and I are to remember that we've been delivered from the bondage of sin at the cross. That's what I love about communion. One of the many things I love. But I love that we have the Lord's Supper at least once a month. And when we do, it's a constant reminder for us to look back to the cross, 
to look forward and we will have it again with him in heaven. He talks about that. And to look within and examine our own hearts. And it's so important for us to remember what we've been delivered from. That he's defeated our enemy. Our enemy of Satan, sin, and death. And you know, we've triumphed over sin and death because Christ triumphed over sin and death. Amen? You know what? I don't, I don't fear death. You fear death. I don't fear death at all. And that blows people's minds. Christians die well. Amen? Because this is a vapor. I mean, it's just moving day. Amen? And I'm leaving behind an old ratty tent, living in a dung heap, and I'm going to heaven. Well, I have a perfect body and hair. Amen? I mean, I'm going to heaven. Everything's going to be perfect. You, can, you know, you're not, you, can eat, you can eat carbs and meat together in heaven, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. And it's going to be so great. And Christians die well. And we have a different perspective than the world does. Knowing that, again, He rose from the dead, so we've triumphed over sin and death. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And as we look back at history, it's important that we remember what God has done. Too often we look at history and all we talk about is what man has done. That's a mess. Remember what God has done. Amen? Now look at the next few verses. Now he's going to begin to talk about his promises. He reminds them of what God has done. Now he's going to remind them of the promises of God. Verse 1, or verse 8 says, what's the first word? It's what? Therefore. What does that mean? So in light of all that God has done, in light of the fact that he delivered you, and in light of the fact that he destroyed your enemies, in light of the fact that he wiped out those who rebelled against him, how should you respond? Therefore. You shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess. Those you've been coming on Wednesday nights, Deuteronomy's been very repetitive, hasn't it? You know why? Because he knows what's in front of them. He knows as soon as they cross over the Jordan, the manna's going to stop falling. The water's not going to come from the rock anymore. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey but it's going to be a land filled with idol worshipers. It's going to be a land filled with the enemy. And they need to know the Lord and stand with Him if they're going to survive in that land. And so He reminds them over and over and over. You know, people have said to me, Pastor Dave, boy, you you have a lot of catchphrases. You repeat a lot. You know what? I do that on purpose. Why? Because I want you to remember them. The Lord wants us to remember His Word. He wants us to deposit it in our heart. He wants us to remember it when temptation comes. He wants us to remember it when we have an opportunity to share our faith. He wants us to remember. And so it's important that it be repeated. And then what does he call them to? He calls them to obedience. Now again, a lot of people struggle with this because they say, well, that's legalism. You know, it's legalism to command obedience amongst Christians because I've been born again and I'm going to heaven and it's by grace we've been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. So how can you command obedience? That's an Old Testament thing. Well, again, we don't have the cursing of disobedience, but we have the conviction of disobedience as Christians. That has changed. But God still desires that we walk in obedience before Him because we love Him and because we believe that He knows what is best for us. Amen? Again, sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. It's not bad just because He forbid it. He forbid it because it will hurt us. It will bring harm to us. And He commands them to walk in obedience. And look what happens if you walk in obedience. He says, when you go into land, you will be strong. And then, look what it says, verse 9, that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. When we walk in obedience, what happens? God blesses us 
with length of days. He prolonged their, he tells Israel, I will prolong your days in this land flowing of milk and honey if you'll just obey me. If you walk in obedience to the Lord and you seek his will, you're not going to deal with the consequences of sin in your life the way you would if you walked in rebellion. You know what? I don't ever worry about getting AIDS. I don't, it never crosses my mind. I don't even think about it. Now, could I get it in some remote way? Yeah, I guess so. But you know, the number one way AIDS is passed is through sexual immorality and IV drug use. Well, I'm going to be faithful to my wife until I die, and I'm not doing any IV drugs. So I don't worry about it. Why? Because I'm walking in obedience. Now, I don't walk in obedience to the Lord in every aspect of my life. That's my desire, but I don't. And the point I'm making is, as we walk in obedience to the Lord, we don't have to deal with the consequences of sin the way the world does. And he's telling them, as you go into the land, if you'll obey me, you'll be prolonged. Your days will be prolonged. You'll be blessed in the land. But if you disobey me, as we'll see in coming verses, it can be very rough. A land flowing with milk and honey. We talked about this before. Milk being a necessity. Honey being a, you know, a a blessing. And he said, you're going to be in a land that has everything you need. And on top of that, it's going to have things that go above and beyond what you need. It's going to bless you. In a mighty way. Verse 10. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden, but the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven. Now the land they were coming out of Egypt, Egypt was the most mighty civilization on the planet, but do you know that Egypt was a desert? They got less than one inch of rain a year. So how did they grow stuff? It says in that previous verse, by foot. And this has a, several meanings. One, it meant that they literally planted plants and they took these slaves of Israel who walked up and down, fetching water and carrying it and watering all of the plants. They also had a device where they used their feet to pump water. Like Gilligan's Island, right? Sitting on the thing, right? Pumping like that. They're sitting there pumping to get the water up, and they had to strive to bring the fruitfulness out of a dry and barren land. They had to strive in their flesh to try to bring something fruitful out of a dry and barren land. And he says, you know what, guys? The place you're going is not like that. It's not dry. It's not barren. It's fruitful. And the water doesn't come through your efforts. The water doesn't come from you striving and laboring. The water comes by God's grace. Look what it says in verse 11. The land you cross over to possess, which drinks water from where? What does it say? The rain of heaven. God pours down the rain. In the land of promise, water came not from man's constant striving and and toiling and, and pumping it up, if you will but by God opening up the skies and watering the land with the rain of heaven. In Egypt, they were in bondage. It was a place of toiling and sweat. Man's constant efforts and striving to keep it going. In the land of promise, it would be a land flowing with milk and honey, watered from heaven. And then look what it says in verse 12. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of every year to the very end of the year. Not only would it be a land flowing with milk and honey, but God's eyes would be on him always. Don't you want the Lord with you always? Don't you want to just walk with him 24-7? You know, I tell people an analogy I use that, you know, I wake up in the morning, the first thing I, my, to do before I let my feet hit the ground out of my bed is pray, and then just put God on speakerphone. Just don't ever hang up. You know, the Bible says pray without ceasing, but this is the will of God. How is that possible? Just don't ever stop. 
Amen? Get in your car and just talk to the Lord. You know, we don't have to get in a box somewhere and we don't have to crawl up on some mountain and we don't have to have special words or, you know, a free pass from somebody in charge. I mean, we have a pass and it's Jesus Christ who is the one who intercedes on our behalf, who allows us to come before the Father. Amen? We come to the Father praying in the name of the Son and we can pray anywhere, anyway, anytime. And praise God that His eyes are always on us. And praise God that He continues to pour out rain upon us and bless us as we walk in obedience to Him. You know, people struggle with this, but it's also true for Christians. When you disobey God, you break fellowship. You do not lose your salvation. You do not lose heaven. But you do break fellowship. Why? Because God cannot have sin in His presence. Your sin is forgiven past, present, and future, but when you sin, you break fellowship with God until you come with a heart of repentance. And that's why He's saying, when you obey, the eyes of the Lord are on you. He'll be reigning down from heaven upon you. He'll be blessing you. He'll be caring for you when you simply walk in obedience. No striving, but resting in the Lord. Now look what he says as he's going to talk about pouring out these blessings upon them. Verse 13. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him. Notice always, love and serve are linked. Love the Lord your God and serve him. Don't say you love God if you just absolutely won't serve him. It's, I have people, again, people, I love God. No, you don't. You know, I love God, but, you know, I love shacking up with my girlfriend. And, but I love God. No, you don't. Because if you did, you would stop. I love God, but I love smoking weed. Well, no, you don't love God, because if you did, you'd stop. Amen? Don't tell me again how it came out of the ground. If I hear that one more time. Just absolutely kills me. You smoking rutabagas too or potatoes? I mean, it came out of the ground, right? That's foolishness. But people will do that. And again, why? Because God, you know, God loves us. He knows what's best for us. And he says, if you love me, serve me, obey me, because I know what's best for you. I give you these commands not to crush you, but to lead you into an abundant life. Again. Now look what it says here, verse 14. Then I will give the rain for you in the land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil. Now, you've got to understand that this rain was very important because they were going into Canaan and possibly and definitely one of the most dominant gods of the Canaanites was a god by the name of Baal. And Baal was the god of rain. And so he keeps telling them, I'm going to provide the rain in October and the early rain. I'm going to provide the latter rain. I'm going to provide all the rain you need. I'm going to provide everything you need. Because the temptation would be to get there and look around and say, well, we're in Canaan. And the Canaan God for rain is Baal. Maybe we ought to just pray so we can get some rain. And the Lord said, don't you dare turn to those false gods. Trust me. Don't turn to the gods that the world serves. Just because we live where we live, don't make the mistake of thinking you should serve the gods this world follows. And that could be the gods of money, the gods of career, the gods of power, the gods of prestige, the things that the world elevates and thinks is important. It's so easy for us to follow after them. And God says, don't you dare. You keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on the Lord. The early rain fell in October. It softened the ground for plowing. And the latter rain fell in April and helped prepare the crops as they came to harvest. Just real briefly, it's interesting, that word latter rain, you ever heard that before in the Bible? 
Latter rain, it's mentioned in Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, and James. And it speaks of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the bringing in of a mighty harvest. I find it interesting that it didn't have, it happens in a latter rain and the rain comes from God. It didn't come where, like in Egypt, where they were pumping it up with their own feet. You know, if you want more of the Holy Spirit, it's not an emotional thing. He didn't pour out the Spirit so you can walk around and have eat weebie-jeebies, right? And have the emotional, you know, oh, I've got tremors, God was there, I'm moving away. Wait a minute. But you know what the biggest sign of the Holy Spirit being upon somebody is? A transformed life. Amen? Boldness to witness. A burden for the lost. Not somebody laying on the ground and flipping out. Everybody's going to think you're out of your mind, right? And you are, okay? Because the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion, amen? That's not how the Holy Spirit operates. You don't see anybody getting slain in the Spirit in the Bible. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are in more control, not less. Amen? You're more controlled by God. You have a greater impact on the world. And the latter rain, and I love it, that that latter rain came, right, in opposition to what was happening in Egypt, where they were pumping it up, and they were making it happen themselves. And they're, you know, they're, they're running their feet, and they're doing it, and they're striving. No striving, just trust God, rest in Him. And you know what's amazing? God will pour out His Spirit upon you if you simply ask Him. And the ultimate proof of that, look at the next verse. Look what it says here in verse 15. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. So he's going to provide for them through the rain. But look what he says in verse 16 and 17. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. Now, this absolutely happened in this very land, and the example of it was with a man by the name of Elijah, right? What had happened? Israel had started turning away from trusting God to bring rain and started worshiping whom? Baal. And they have these prophets of Baal and Ahab the king, and they started worshiping the prophets of Baal. And people often wonder, how does a guy like Elijah, how is this guy so bold? Because what he did is incredible. Can you imagine going down to the White House? And walking into the Oval Office and just, just tearing up President Bush's office. Just flip his desk over and start kicking stuff down. Well, in a greater way than that, Elijah walks into where Ahab is and starts kicking down the idols. He's just knocking them all over. And then he looks at him and says, you know what, Ahab? It's not going to rain again until I say so. And he walks out. And you know what? It didn't. And people wonder, how does this guy so bold? Well, he was a man of prayer, but you know what else? He was a man of the word, because what does this verse say? Look at this verse. It says, lest the anger of the Lord be aroused against you, and he what? He shuts up the heavens so there be no rain. He said, so if you turn to other gods, it's going to stop raining. They had turned to other gods. Elijah showed up and said, it's not going to rain. How did he know? Because he knew what the Bible said. Amen? He knew the word. And you know what? We can be just as assured when we read God's Word and we see the promises of God, both in obedience and in rebellion. If you disobey God, there's going to be heartache. That's a fact. You disobey God, there's going to be struggles in your marriage. There's going to be struggles in your walk. You're going to walk around with a broken heart. Why? Because God created you to have fellowship with Him and you'll be out of fellowship. And you want to shake people and tell them, but God's got to get a hold of their heart and there must be repentance. And Elijah went in, and he told him, and we know what's interesting, is remember when they had the little battle on Mount Carmel, those of you in Israel with us, we sat on this very mountain where it happened? 
And as we sat on that mount, what happened was the prophets of Baal spent hours cutting themselves and just crying, ah, you know, and crying out to Baal. And remember, Elijah just really mocks them. Maybe he's out hunting. He even says maybe he's in the bathroom. It's a fact. It's in the Bible. Read it. Maybe he's taking care of his necessities. You know, certainly he's a God. Maybe he's in the bathroom. You know, you know keep, and they, they cry out and they scream and they pump it up and they do everything to make the, the rain fall. And what does Elijah do? He goes and sits down and prays a 10-second prayer and fire falls from the sky. Why? Because one of them knew the true and living God and one did not. It's not emotion. It's not stirring it up. It's not cutting ourselves. It's not doing all these crazy things. It's just having intimacy with God and knowing his word. And then God will use us mightily like he did Elijah. God knew the, Elijah knew the word and he knew God. And God used him. We need to know God and know his word. And God will use us in a mighty way. Amen? And be willing to obey his word. Unlike Ahab had been. And there was no rain, the land yield no produce, and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving to you. When we disobey God, consequences do come. Take heed to yourself. And what he's talking about here is you're going to go into this land, and when you start being blessed, it's going to be very easy for you to turn aside from God and start to trust in your bank account. Start to trust in your own abilities. God's desire is that we continue to serve Him. We'll become prideful, complacent, and again, we'll be primed for idol worship. And you might say, well, we don't worship idols today. Yes, we do. The idols are our career, our education, our friends, our desires, our self. We become self-centered. That, you know what? That is one of the most ungodly things there is, is when you are self-centered. Amen? Because who, who's the fo- who should the focus be on? Amen. Looking up, not looking at ourselves, not desiring to pump ourselves up. Verse 18. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be frontlets before your eyes. Now one of the things that's important here too is he told them, he gives them the answer on how not to fall in to a situation where they arouse the anger of God. He says, you'll arouse the anger of God and you'll serve other gods. Therefore, since that's a potential problem, here's what you need to do. Put the word of God, put the word of mine on your heart, in your soul. Bind them as a sign in your hand. They shall be frontless between your eyes. Now God's promise was, keep in my word and I will continually bless you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we, you know, it's amazing how people are struggling, but they don't spend time in the word. You ask them, how, how's, it's amazing. I'll, it's the same conversation. I don't care what the how much time you spend in the Word? Well, I'm busy right now. Oh, okay. How's your prayer life? Don't really have one. No prayer, no Word, and you're not really in fellowship. Gee, it's amazing that you're struggling in your marriage. Well, you know, you need to invite the Lord into your marriage. Amen? You need to start seeking God first with your whole heart. And when we put other things in front of God, guess what happens? Our marriage falls apart. Our relationship falls apart. We struggle with sin. And God's Word was to make... The word of God a priority in their heart. Psalm 119 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you. Not just knowledge in their head, but transforming work of God in their heart. God's word was to be close at hand and before their eyes. Everywhere they looked, a constant reminder of God's calling upon their lives. Now we know the Jews took this literally. What did they do? They made, remember, phylacteries. Right? They made these little boxes and they put scripture in it and they put it between their eyes. 
And then they tied it to their head. They still do this today. And then they take a phylactery and they wrap it around their hand and they got a little box of scripture on their hand. That's not what he's talking about. Again, we can take it to the point he's saying, look, have, have the word of God nearby. Have it handy. Amen? Have it near you. And have it before your eyes. Be meditating on it, concentrating on it. Not just keeping the rituals. And you know how we know this is true? Because Jesus condemned the Pharisees when they did it. Do you remember that? He said, you guys make yourself... You know what they started doing? The bigger the box, the more holy you were. I just envisioned a guy with like a U-Haul box. You know what I mean? Just walking around, you know, carrying his U-Haul box. And you know, the bigger the box, the bigger the phylactery, the more holy you were. And then these big old broad... And the Lord condemned them. Guys, that's not what I was talking about. You've missed it. God doesn't want us just to have a bunch of ritualistic things to the Word. He doesn't care how many Bibles you got on your bookshelf. He wants to know how many you have in your hand. Amen? I got 47 Bibles at home. That's great. How many have you read today? Amen? Blow the dust off and get that thing out. Amen? Spend time in God's Word. And they had missed it. And Jesus condemned this abuse later among the Pharisees. They missed the point. You know, it's interesting, the Antichrist would copy this very verse. Because where does it say that he will, the mark of the beast will be? Hand and forehead. The Lord said, put the word of God before your eyes. And he's going to say, no, put my mark. Put the word of God by your hand. No, put my mark. Again, and we all choose to serve one or the other. Then he says of the Word of God, You shall teach them to your children, speaking to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. God's Word was to be the priority with their children. They were to teach them diligently. They were to teach them daily. This doesn't happen by accident, you guys. It requires a conscious decision to get God's Word into your kid's heart. You know what? Share with your kids when you're driving in the car. My boys love to play Bible trivia. And so we do that. And you know Share with them. Share the Lord with them. Put Christian music on in your car. Spend time. Make a decision at dinner table. Talk about the Lord. Open in prayer. At bedtime when, our, when your children are small, go in and read a Bible story to them. Make the Word of God a priority in the lives of your children. And I, will know, and I can tell you this because I know it for a fact. Your kids may get tired of hearing the Bible says, because my kids get tired of it sometimes. Okay, Dad, the Bible says. I heard that before, right? I think I might say that at my house once in a while. But the Bible says, but you know what? The greatest thing I can do for my kids is tell them what the Bible says. Amen? And even if they don't receive it at the, this moment, they still need to hear it again and again and again so that it will be seeping down into their hearts. Our kids absorb what we share with them. Verse 20, And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. God's Word should be the central theme in your home. Christian music, Scripture on the wall. You call my house, my answer machine says, that's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, just put God's word. You know, have Christian music playing. Have Christian books. Have Christian movies. You know, have Christian games. Have a memory verse on the chalkboard when my kids were little. You know, put the, the memory verses up. Have Bible studies. Have devotions. And at the same time, while putting God's word up in your house, remove that that contradicts God's word that's in your house. Now, what did the Jews do? They took it literal again. You ever heard of a mezuzah? They put scripture in it and they nailed it to the wall. And every time they came in the house, they touched it. Now, if it reminds you, Lord, that's... But again, they've missed the point. It's not just a bunch of rituals. It's literally having the Word of God prevalent in your house. Verse 21. That your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. Again, 
God's promise for making the Word of God the priority. Make it close at hand. Put it before your kids' eyes. Teach your children. Have it be the predominant thing in your home. And what will be the result? The days of their, of their days and their children's days will be multiplied. How many of your kids, how many want your kids to live abundant lives for God? Amen? Teach them the Word. Have the Word be prominent in your house. Raise them up to know the truth. Even when they rebel against it for the moment or for the season. Verse 22. For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to hold fast to Him. Do you know what? That sentence right there sums up all the commandments. Look what it says. Love the Lord your God, walk in His ways, hold fast to Him. Are you holding fast to the Lord? Are you holding fast to Him? Are you near to Him? As my daughter's... uh, Bible teacher. We went to Mexico together and he used to talk to me about being married to Jesus. Are you married to Jesus? You know, we're his bride, right? And he'd say that all the time. Are you married to Jesus? That's the kind of relationship, that intimacy that God desires that we have, that we love the Lord, that we walk in his ways, that we hold fast to him. Then the Lord will drive out all those nations before you and dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. God says, you walk in obedience and I'll take care of your enemies. You obey God and give the rest to Him. Amen? You don't have to worry about the enemies. You don't have to worry about the enemies of your health, you know, if you're, if you're sick. You don't have to worry about the enemies of the finances. You don't have to worry about the enemies of those who come against you. They're in God. You know what? You're coming against God. I'll let Him have them. I'm just going to obey God and leave them there in His hands. What a peace there is in that. Amen? He says, guys, you're going to go in. There's going to be giants there. I'm greater. Just trust me. Follow me. Keep your eyes on me, not on the enemy. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. From the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, from the river Euphrates, even the western sea shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he said to you. God had more for them than they could possibly imagine. The Bible tells us that he desires to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. This territory right here went all the way up past Iraq. And he said, wherever you put your feet, it's all yours. And you know what's sad? You know what percentage of the land God had given them they actually possessed? Less than 10%. And I believe that that's a type or something that all of us can learn from because the same is true for us. God has so much more for us than we've got right now. I believe that. Do you believe that? Do you think God wants to do more with you? I know he wants to do more with me. And my heart is every day, Lord, show me and help me to be obedient, to step out, to do all that you want to do with me. Amen? All that you want to do with this church, all that you want to do in my family, all that you want to do in my home, all that you want to do in my life. And that should be our heart. God's desire, again, is to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And too too often we miss God's highest because we lack faith and because of disobedience. Finally, verse 26. Now look here. This is the final portion here. I titled it, Choose Today Whom You Will Serve. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you today. And a curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. Is that pretty straightforward? Is there any, any wondering about what he's trying to say here? He says, if you obey, blessing, disobey, curse. Now, it is true that as Christians, we are no longer cursed. Amen? Because He, what, was accursed for us. 
Jesus took the cursing, but where we are not cursed, we have the what? What happens when we sin? We're separated from God. We miss out on that intimacy of fellowship. We lose out. So we don't have that, that curse that they had. And instead, what we have is the consequences of sin. And so he tells them, if you obey, blessing. You disobey, cursing. In our case, you obey, blessing. You disobey, consequences. Separation from God. But turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. He says, if you do not obey me and you turn away to the false gods of this world, then the consequences will be heavy. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into a land which you possess, that you shall put a blessing on Mount Gerizim and a curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan toward the setting sun in the land of the Canaanites who dwell on the plain opposite Gilgal beside the terebinth trees of Morah? Now it's interesting... And we don't have time. We're going to talk about this when we get to, I think it's Deuteronomy 27 talks about this. But real briefly, when they went into the land, you know what they did? They put six tribes on Mount Gerizim and six tribes on Mount Ebal. And Joshua stood in the middle with the priest and he would read the commands of God. And when there were commands that would bring forth blessing if they obeyed, then all the guys on Mount Mount, uh, Gerizim, the Mount of Blessing, would scream, Amen! And when he made a command that if disobeyed or a command that was in the negative that would bring forth you know, consequences for those in rebellion, then those on Mount Ebal would go, Amen! And so what he did is he was reading the Word and bringing it into their hearts and making them be faced with it over and over again. The blessing came from obedience and cursing came from disobedience. We need to be reminded again and again how God desires to bless us He gives us the law out of His love for us. He gives us direction. He gives us the Word because He desires to bless us. Last two verses. For you shall cross over the Jordan and go in to possess the land which your God is giving you. You shall possess it and dwell in it. And you shall be careful to observe all the statutes and judgments which I set before you today. How many times has He said that? I didn't count, but it's a lot. Why does He keep saying it? Because... We need to be reminded over and over again. We need to be in God's Word every day. We start listening to music from the world and it tells us something else. We start watching television programs. It tells us something else. We start listening to our coworkers and our fellow students at school and they tell us something else. And we hear that enough and hear it enough and hear it enough that all of a sudden the Word of God is not predominant in our life anymore and now we start walking away from God and now we're compromising our faith and now we're living in the world. That's why we need to be reminded every day of what the Word of God really says. We're to continue to passionately pursue God and to walk in obedience before Him. So in review, obedience produces what? Blessing. And when we obey, it's an act of what? It's an act of love, an act of worship, both. It is an act of worship to God, an act of love to God. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And disobedience brings consequences. An ineffective walk, a blown testimony, it grieves the heart of God. May we passionately pursue God and remain constantly desperate for Him. Amen? May we not just be satisfied knowing about God, but may we pursue Him with our whole heart and trust what His Word says. And if God says it, that settles it. Amen? Don't have to take a vote on it. Don't have to discuss it. The Bible says it. That should be enough. How many times does God have to say it before it's true? Amen? I've had people say, well, it's only the Bible a couple times. 
How many times do you need to have it? Amen? One should be enough. May we obey the Lord knowing that with obedience comes blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. And we praise you, Lord, for your love and your grace. You're such a great and an awesome God. Lord, we pray that you would help us. We know, Lord, we can't obey on our own. We can't do it in our own strength and our own will. But, Lord, empowered by your Spirit, as we die to ourselves and die to our will, and we pursue you, Lord, we know you can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Father, I pray for those in the room tonight who are struggling in their walk. Those who, Lord, are in rebellion and they know it. Lord, I pray they'd come with hearts of repentance to turn away and turn back to you. I thank you, Lord, that we can take a million steps away from God and it's only one step back. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.